0: See how God wants to use you as you get to know your spiritual gift next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. If you really stop to think of it, what a privilege it is that God wants to use us. And knowing our spiritual gift is a good first step in that process. Today on Abounding Grace, we'll take a look at the gift of prophecy. It's one of the gifts laid out for us in Romans chapter 12. What is it and is it still in operation today? Have you been given this one? We're about to answer these questions and more as we join Pastor Ed Taylor. Romans chapter 12.
1: Verse 1 opens up. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who's among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, But to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them, and here's the list. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, and cling to what is good." What is your spiritual gift? Do you know? Our time through this study, by the time we're finished, I believe you will be able to not only to identify what your primary motivational gift is, but you'll be able to see how it operates within the church and where you fit within the church. This time that we've set aside is to train us on how to use the gifts, to move us in stepping out in faith with our gifts, And to remind us that God has placed us in the body so that you will be used in these last days to bring salvation to many. As we speak about the gifts, we can't neglect the greatest gift. The greatest gift from God are not the gifts that we're going to be looking at today. The greatest gift of God is a gift of love. We often refer to it as the gift of salvation. It's not anything that you can earn, it's God bridging the gap between him and us that has been broken by sin, by our own rebellion, by our own unwillingness to submit to God, to live in a love relationship with him. The Bible says that God demonstrated his love toward us, that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus Christ was viciously beaten, the son of man, the son of God. Then he was hung on a Roman cross, to die a horrific death by crucifixion. And he went to the cross willingly. He wasn't guilty of any broken law. He wasn't guilty of any sin. And yet he took that upon himself in substitution for those that would place their faith in him. That's the gap. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the greatest gift. The Bible put it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. The gift of salvation is just that, a gift. A gift to be received and to enjoy. The beauty of what God has done. It's not by our works, but by his finished work. As Jesus not only died, but he rose again the third day. And he's alive today, proving everything that he said and did. But not only are we saved by faith as a gift, the Bible says this, for everyone that's placed their faith in Jesus Christ, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're not saved by good works. We're saved for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's God's will for your life. God's will for your life and mine is for for us to walk in the works that God has prepared beforehand. How do we do that? But by the gifts of His Spirit. First, the gift of salvation. And then, with the gift of salvation, comes the spiritual gifts. We have the seven primary spiritual gifts in Romans chapter 12. We have the manifestations of the Spirit mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we have a few of the offices that God has given through the spiritual gifts in Ephesians chapter 4. And every one of us has been given at least one, every believer has been given at least one of these spiritual gifts that moves you, that motivates you. And it's encouraging for us to learn these things, to know that there's a place for you in the body, that there are works for you, in the body of Christ. Not just the body of Christ, but this body of Christ. You have a place. There's a place where you fit so that you might bear fruit. Knowing your spiritual gift is very encouraging. It should bring encouragement to you for a few reasons. First of all, when you know your spiritual gift, you will waste less of your time as you serve him. You won't be wasting time getting involved in things that you're not gifted or involved in things that are distracting, but you're just zoned in on how God made you, how God wants to use you, and you won't be wasting time. Not only that, knowing your spiritual gift will make you more effective. You'll be able to serve God with such a laser focus, knowing where God has you, where most of your time is being spent in effectiveness. Not only that, serving God, God, with your spiritual gift and knowing what it is, will give you more joy because you're doing what you enjoy. You're doing what you were made to do. And there'll be more smiles on your face. There'll be more joy in your heart. As the Spirit of God, you will be serving less and less in the flesh. Many of you know the frustration of serving in the flesh. Paul would put it this way, as it relates to the works of salvation in your life as a believer, he put it this way in Galatians chapter 3, verse 3. He said, are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, you're now being made perfect in the flesh? The flesh is frustrating. It's so discouraging to us. But when we know our spiritual gift, man, so much of the Spirit. The Bible says that when we walk in the Spirit, we won't fulfill the lusts of our flesh. There is no law against the fruit of the Spirit. Not only that, when you serve and know your gifts, you'll serve with less frustration. You'll serve with less double-mindedness. You'll serve with less burnout. You'll serve with with less comparison and envy. Where you see someone else's gifting and you go, I wish I could do that. I want to do that. When God hasn't really made you to do that. He's made you for your particular gifting, your particular place. And you'll be so less comparing and being upset that God's using someone else in a way that he's not using you and I wish I could do that. You'll just be content. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says, Paul put it this way. He says, I know how to abound and I know how to be a base. That means I know how to have a lot and I know how to have a little, but in all things I have learned contentment it's something we have to learn and one of the ways that we learn it is as we learning our spiritual gifts we're content with where we're at and another way to learn it is sometimes we're envious sometimes we want what someone else has and God's just showing us no no that's not for you that's not for you it's for them it's not for you you know pastors go through this just on a on a personal level pastors go through this. many years ago when the church here was about 150 people what a glorious time Church started out with about 30 people, and we came to that place of about 150 people and joined the school, but my heart was always dreaming big, and my heart was always like, Lord, we need to get out of this school. We need to have a more permanent place. We want to have more ministry, so we need a permanent place, and so I'd drive around the city and just look at different vacant buildings or things for lease, and many of you know the old theaters that that used to be at Mississippian Chambers right on the corner there. Nice theaters there. Well, many years ago, they were for sale. And I would drive by and say, Oh, Lord, it would be so good if you would give that to us. And I literally meant give because we had no money. (laughs) I said, It would just be so awesome. It's already set up. We won't have to do a lot of build-out. It's already got the seats together. And, Lord, it would just be so good. And I'd drive by week after week and, and just dream and say, Oh, maybe, Lord. And then one day, the for sale sign went down, and it was replaced with another sign because another church in town decided to purchase that. Colorado community, they're still there now. For many years, Colorado community was down on Hampton on the other side of I-25, a growing, thriving church as they are now. And in their growth, the leadership decided, you know, I think we need to to do a new outreach from our church, and we're going to go in the area of Aurora and as they're in their planning, they ended up getting, and they had the resources, they were able to buy those theaters, remodel them, put them all together. And on their first Sunday, over 400 people showed up. And I was not happy. <laughs> I said, Lord, all, it took us all this time to 100, first day, 400, my theaters. I mean, we didn't have enough money to buy a parking space there, let alone the whole theaters. And the Lord was speaking in my heart, teaching me how to be happy when other churches are blessed in our community. Because it's a good thing, Colorado communities in our, in our area. It's a good thing they started out with 400 and grew crazy, you know, huge. It's a good thing with the leaders there. It's a good thing what God is doing through them. It's a good thing that they have the theaters. You know why? Because God had something different for us. We know who we are. I learned what God was doing in my life. I learned the kind of ministry he wanted. He wanted us to stay in the school for quite a while because we had a lot of lessons to learn, a lot of lessons of trust, a lot of lessons of sitting on very hard chairs for long periods of time. You guys are all spoiled right now with all that foam there because it wasn't used to be. It didn't used to be like that. And all of the things that we were learning. I'm so happy for that church. I'm so happy for the churches in our community. But we had to learn that. Maybe on a personal level, you you see someone else's gift and you wish that was yours. But then you find out God allows you to do it. You find out, no, 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 no. That's not what I thought it was. It looked different. I'm sorry, Lord, for coveting that. I'm sorry, Lord, I don't want that. I want what you have for me. I mean, how many times you have to learn of your coveting and wanting something else, you know, like your neighbor. There you are with your car. You got 557,400.3 miles. And you're getting as much as you can out of it. It only has three wheels, but that's fine. Nobody worries about that spark plugs don't work they don't make carburetors for it anymore and and you're just like lord I just dedicate this car to you I'm going to use it until I can and then what happens your neighbor comes home with that brand new truck and you look at it and you're like lord you see my car I love you at least put another wheel on it for me lord but they got the truck. I wanted that truck. That's the truck I looked at. I've been staring at that truck. Why? And the Lord's teaching you contentment because the Lord didn't want you to have that truck. He wants you to be happy for your neighbor. He wants you to go over and say, hey, I see you got a new truck. See my car with three wheels? I see you got a new truck. <laughs> Why don't we just thank God right now that you got, you got the truck that you needed for work? Let's just thank God that He provided for all of your needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. Let's just thank God. Maybe they're believers, maybe they're unbelievers, but your heart is not coveting. See, when you know where you belong, man, what great confidence you have in who God made you and how He gifted you. And it's true in every area of life. Not only will you operate more in the Spirit, but you will also, operate less in the flesh when you know your spiritual gift. Now, a couple things before we jump into our Bible study. We will follow the same pattern in our Bible studies on these seven gifts. But before I show you the, share with you the pattern, let's define or let's, let's create two categories and put each of the gifts into one of these two categories. The categories are verbal gifts and nonverbal gifts. Verbal gifts nonverbal gifts and this is going to be participatory i'm going to ask you a question i want you to guess what it is so let's start in verse 6 the gift of prophecy it is a verbal gift you're right the gift of ministry or service is a primarily a nonverbal gift the gift of teaching is a verbal gift come on stay with me the gift of exhortation verbal gift the gift of giving Nonverbal, verbal right? Non- don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. How about the gift of serving? Trick question, both. Just got to throw that in there for you because you're kind of going, I got it, I got it, I got it, trick. It's both. It's a little bit of both. And some of these have a- attributes of a little bit of both, but really serving can be both. And then the gift of mercy is a verbal gift, but it's also, because a lot of it comes from your mouth, but it's also kind of like the serving gift. Keep that in mind. We'll go through them uh, individually. But those are basically the categories that are listed here. And here's where we're going to go in our Bible study. It's going to be a predictive pattern. Number one, we're going to define the gift biblically. We're going to define, I'm going to give you a biblical definition of the gift itself. Secondly, we'll see how the gift operated in Jesus' life. Remember, Jesus was fully man. And fully God. And according to Philippians, when Jesus came and took the form, eternal God came and took the form of a human, he left some of his glory to come to earth. And he was a man, perfect man, filled with the Holy Spirit, being led by the Holy Spirit. How did the gifts operate in his life? We will see every single gift operating in the life of Jesus. Thirdly, We'll also see this gift operating in the early church. And I'll give you some scriptures to look up and you can study it during the week. And then finally, we'll look at a few hazards and dangers that go along with this particular gift. Some things to watch out for if you have it. Things that will happen in your life. Things that personality traits and situations that will come up as you're exercising the gift. I'm so excited for this. It, It is a powerful time that God is going to move you and motivate you to serve him in so many different ways. So number one, the definition of the gift, according to verse 6, if, if it's prophecy, then let's prophesy in proportion to our faith. Let's exercise in proportion to our faith. The gift of prophecy is a verbal gift, and it can be defined as simply declaring the truth. Declaring the truth. If you don't normally take notes here at Bible study, I encourage you, today's the day to start. Because you're going to want to jot some things down. You're going to want to jot some of these things down. Come ready to take notes. Because they study these things and they say, I don't know what the numbers are, but if you hear something, you retain a certain percentage. But if you hear it and write it down, the percentage goes up. And if you hear it, write it down, and review it later, the percentage goes through the roof. And you're going to want to write some of these things down because you and I, we want to know what our giftings are, how God wants to use us. This is a verbal gift. It means to declare the truth. The word in the Greek literally means to cause to shine. To cause to shine. So here's the definition. God has given some men and women in the church the supernatural ability to take his word and cause it to shine to bring about a focus on a particular passage of Scripture, a particular situation, and make God's Word come alive in a person's life in the moment for the situation. Don't allow any confusion to come between the gift of prophecy in the New Testament and the Old Testament office of a prophet. The Old Testament office of a prophet does not exist today. We have the last Old Testament prophet coming on the scene in the beginning of the New Testament, announcing Messiah. That was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. God has spoken many ways in times past through the prophets. But now in these last days, the Bible says, he speaks to us through Jesus Christ. Who was our last prophet, by the way? John the Baptist. He came and announced and fulfillment of Jesus Christ, now we find that voice coming through Jesus, not the Old Testament prophets. However, there is a New Testament gifting of prophecy, where God will speak through a man or a woman, giving forth the Word of God. The Old Testament office of a prophet is more of a foretelling. You might want to write it down. F-O-R-E foretelling. Where someone could come on the scene and say, thus saith the Lord, and it comes to pass. Because God was speaking through men to communicate to his people. Even some were communicating to his people in the form of writing down the scriptures. Remember what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1? He said in verse 19, we have the prophetic word confirmed which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. God used a certain group of men to write down the Scriptures. But God is no longer writing new scripture. The Bible is complete. The technical phrase for that is the canon of scripture is complete. C-A-N-O-N. It's done. The measure. There's no more. Jude would put it this way. That we've received the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. Once and for all. There's no new scriptures. Anybody that comes and says, thus saith the Lord, I've got a new scripture, I've got new word from God that's equal to the scriptures, it's not. Foretelling is no longer in operation today. However, however, the New Testament gift of prophecy is not foretelling, but it is forth telling, F-O-R-T-H. It's speaking forth the word of God that has already been written, the foretelling of God's word as He has already revealed it. Turn over to First Corinthians chapter 14 as we see a definition of prophecy. In First Corinthians, it's a very similar the manifestation of a word of prophecy, and now also combined with Romans chapter 12, the gift of prophecy. Notice with me, First Corinthians chapter 14, verse one. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, one of those holy men of God writing down the scriptures, says this. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may, what does your Bible say? Prophesy. Whether it's the gifting of prophecy or the manifestation, desire this. Ask for it. Because he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. It's that personal prayer language where you're able to communicate, bypassing the intellect, talking directly with God in a spiritual language. For no one understands him. However, in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. But notice verse 3. He who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. Mark those three things. Those are the marks of a prophetic word. A prophetic word can bring edification. A prophetic word can bring exhortation. And a prophetic word can bring comfort. It can bring one of them, two of them, or all three of them. But that's
0: the realm of the prophetic word. We're enjoying a study in the Gospel of John here on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is our teacher on the program, and you can hear these studies online at aboundinggraceradio.com and through the Calvary Church app. Check out Ed's blog at edtaylor.org. Thank you for remembering Abounding Grace in your giving to the Lord. Every gift that comes in goes right to ministry. It plays an important role in helping us bring the truths of God's Word to the radio every day. And when you support the ministry today with a gift of $25 or more, we'll say thanks by sending you Beautiful People Don't Just Happen by Scott Sauls. Would you like to experience freedom from the regret hurt, or fear that's weighing on you, and instead, find a life of relief, joy, and hope in Jesus. Allow Scott Sauls to point the way, and by the end of the book, you'll see how to become the beautiful person God wants you to be. Request it today when you give $25 or more. Call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Ordering is super easy through our online store as well at calvaryco.store. If you'd like to make a donation to the ministry and you're not interested in the book, you can donate safely and securely at aboundinggraceradio.com. Register for our upcoming ministry conference, Refresh, at calvaryco.church and discover the heartbeat of ministry, the why. It's all set for October 6th through the 8th at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. We'd love to have you join us. Glad to have you with us for today's broadcast. We look forward to continuing the journey through John next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. In the meantime, let's be drawing on God's abounding grace for daily living. This is amazing grace